Okay. So when you think about Nehemiah, uh, or when I think about the Old Testament in general, the people of God, their history, you know, I think back about, okay, well, when would it have been a good time to have been one of these people? When would it have been a good time to live among the Israelites? You know, and I think back about, you know, the time of Moses and the Exodus, you know, the neat things that those folks would have seen. But really, you know, at that point in time, what looks best to me is I would like to have been a young man when Joshua was a little older. You know, I would not have wanted to be, I don't think, a contemporary of Joshua and Caleb, you know. Uh, And then I think about the time of the kings, you know, when uh, really the Israelites look back at their peak of power, you know, their peak of influence in the world. Uh, maybe uh, some some of the time of David, but uh, you know uh, that doesn't appear to have all been great. Uh, maybe the time of Solomon. Uh, that looks like it could have been a good time to have been a Israelite, but you know when I think about it, you know when you think about being with a group of God's people. And what makes that the best? You know, well, the time of Solomon for the Israelites might have been the time of greatest wealth, but was it the time where the most of them were dedicated to the mission? Uh, when the, the time when most of them were the most faithful? You know, maybe the time of Joshua. But right here, when you're looking at Nehemiah, this looks like a really interesting time, a good time to have been an Israelite. Was it difficult? Yeah, it was difficult. Uh, but what do we see when we look at the dedication of the people, the joy, the joy that they have in serving their God, um, the ability with which they were able to work together to accomplish a task? Have y'all ever been a part of a group that's working on a mission that they love, that's working together, and they're joyous in doing those things? That's kind of nice. That's a nice thing to be a part of. And so when I look at this, you know, the, the title up there, Repair, Rebuild, Reinforce, think about, you know, us today as a group. What can we learn as we go back and look at this time period, this time of history with the people of God? They're, they're coming out of captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah, or I think at one point if I... If my study is right, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, maybe in the old Jewish writings, were actually a part of one book. You know, it, it was separated later. Um, this is These guys were contemporaries, the things they write about, pretty much writing about the same time period, the same people. So, you know, those books read together well. They study together well. It's, it's, uh, they're affected by the same things. Um, this is a mock-up drawing of what that, time period that that what that may have looked like at that time but um you know as we're going through this you know what i want to think about is um you know how do we make uh our group how do we grow as a group you know we could talk we could have a lesson really about you know what's our part you know we talk about 
the head and the hands and the feet and the eyes and all of the body of Christ. We talk about our different roles, various roles in the body of Christ. But I think this is a good thing to look to if we're thinking about what we need to be doing. So, um, like I say, I'll have a lot of this up on the screen. Some of it I won't, but I'll pull it up. Alright, this is Nehemiah 3. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanai built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. So, building and rebuilding in God's kingdom today. We see that they all had assigned tasks. They all had jobs different parts of the walls to rebuild. They had things to do. Everybody didn't do the same things. So today, do all of God's people have work to do? Do we all have things that we need to be doing? Right? And what kinds of work? Right? Is my work the same as Miss Carrie's work? The same as Andrew's work? The same of Mama Zet's work? Is it all the same? And what is the foundation of the work? Now, obviously, we're talking about, when we're talking about them, they had a physical foundation, right? Uh, they were working on a physical foundation. They were building a physical building. Uh, does the foundation of the work impact the outcomes? You know, how good is the foundation? Does it impact what we do. Colson and I talked a little bit about, you know, the foundation, the thoughts, uh, you know, are you working under God's authority or are you just kind of doing your own good things? So, this is kind of how it was. We're going to read about how it was in the time. Nehemiah 4, starting at verse 1. Now, it came about that when uh, Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said what are these feeble Jews doing are they going to restore it for themselves can they offer sacrifices can they finish in a day can they receive can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble even the burned ones um you know, and try to make comparisons as we're going through this. Obviously, they'd had a different set of problems than we had. They're building a physical building. We're trying to build a spiritual house here, a spiritual kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be doing together, right? And think about, you know, are there objections from without? Do we run into folks that object to us being successful here? or object to what we might would say. Um, I will share with you a a thing that I learned on this last trip to North Carolina. Um, One of the guys used to do a lot of solicitation to churches in Virginia and the Carolinas saying we've got land for sale that you can expand to. And he said for a long time, he said he made good money with these groups expanding, building new buildings. 
back in the mid-2000s. And he said since COVID, a huge amount of those have failed. He said a lot of them that were 500 were 50. And those, all those facilities, a lot of those facilities, especially in the Virginia area, Virginia and coming south is kind of interesting. He described it. He said, those places are for sale now. And there's nobody to buy them. That's what he was telling me. Nobody to buy those facilities. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to grow. Our, we've been given the directive to grow. Is that right? We've been told to build. And what's keeping us from it? What's in the way? Um, will there be opposition? So keep reading. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. And notice what I got highlighted up there. For the people had a mind to work. So who, who did they get their instructions from? Were they rebuilding the temple of God? Is that what they were doing? But they had a mind to work, and so the opposition was impressed, not in a positive way. So let's see what their attitude was. Same chapter, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Nevertheless, and next to the Tekoites uh, repaired, but their nobles, uh, but n- the nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. So I want you to pay attention, really, if you go back and read, um, you know, evidently this was the descendants of their kingly lines or whatever. They, they had a nobility or a class system that... Uh, you know, I don't know that it was ever really intended, but that existed, right, among the Jews. And uh, what's it say? They were lazy. Now, has anybody ever been a part of a group project where somebody on their group project was lazy? I know I'm supposed to see some heads nodding because I've heard some of y'all tell me specifically that that has happened to you in the past when you were in school, right? Um, Does that help with your ability to be determined? It does not help. It hurts, right? So they were having opposition on the outside and really laziness on the inside, right? But nevertheless, did the work continue? Project moving forward? Yep. Project moving forward. Same chapter. Chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, 
Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren and sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. So was he thinking this was going to be just all easy? Does he say, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and will do all your fighting for you? Is that what that verse says? It's not what that says. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Are you do y'all get a mental image here? Y'all see my picture back there? The trowel and the sword. I'm laying brick with one, and I'm holding this other. Y'all, come on. You're going to interfere with the work? I'm ready. What's the sword of the New Testament? It's the Word. Right? So what would that look like? I'm doing the work, and I've got the Word. Right? So how would we be effective? All right. For the builders, every one had his sword girded on his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So you've got somebody giving warning. You've got good things going on here. Looks like I'm ahead of you. I don't know how that happened. There we go. So when does reading the law cause great gladness? And this very same thing happened in Ezra, just a different, it was a different subject, right? But I want you all to read along with me. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. What does that sound like? Not only were they reading it, but they were talking about it. They were, they were explaining it. They were trying to understand what it said together. It wasn't just some rote, some routine. We're going to understand what this says. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's uh, households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and the branches of other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. That was a long time. And guess what? And there was great rejoicing. Okay, and so what I want you to notice is when was the great rejoicing? 
when they read it and understood it or when they read it, understood it, and did it. Right? I want y'all to remember a time, that I've thought about this a good bit over time. So, you remember Elijah? And he thinks he's the only one. Y'all remember that? I'm the only one doing your will, God. Well, so God says, there's 7,000 that haven't bent the knee. And what I understand that to be is that, you know, they didn't bow down. You know, they were told not to bow down to idols, right? And they didn't. But I want you all to think about something. Uh, The Bible is a little bit of thou shalt not, like thou shalt not bow down to idols. But how much thou shalt is in there? It's a lot, right? Um, Now, do y'all think Elijah was a thou shalt guy or a thou shalt not or both? He's both, right? What about them 7,000? Why did he not know about the 7,000? Were those 7,000 coming up and like, Elijah, you go for it. We're in. If this same thing falls apart, we got you back. We, you know, I got my sword on. Or did he just not know they existed? And let me ask you this. Can we be pretty good at the thou shalt not and zero effective in saving souls? Is that possible? You ever seen that? I think you have. I know you have, Right? The thou shalt nots, how effective are they? What what did was Elijah feeling he everybody had his back? Alright. And so what do you think, folks, with you, are they encouraged in their service? Was Elijah discouraged in his service? Because he didn't I mean, he just didn't know. He just didn't know. Right? Uh, so are you an encouragement on the thou shalt side? If you're real good at thou shalt not. And are we effective if we're a big group of thou shalt notters? How do you think that plays at your workplace with the people that know you? Is that a great example? Is that going to encourage people to come? They're going to be curious about what makes you you? What drives you? They, they want to be like you. They want to be with you on Sunday. They, is that how that works? And there was great rejoicing when they heard it, understood it, and they did it. Is That's when they got to it. He read from the book of law of God daily from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. So what about chapter 9? This is one of my favorite chapters. So, I'm going to read it to you, because I like it. And it's long. Okay. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. That sound like humility? 
the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. Wow. They didn't just confess their own shortcomings, did they? Did this go beyond that? We as a group of people, not only have we failed, but the folks ahead of us have failed. What did we just identify in, those, in that previous reading? It had been since the time of Joshua that they had observed in that way what was in chapter 8, just before, that they had observed this uh, Feast of the Booths correctly. It had been that long. They were acknowledging the shortcomings of the people before them even. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. Now, I don't know if this is the four, a fourth of a 24-hour day or the, or the fourth of the daylight, but it's either three hours or six hours. It says, while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and for another fourth, which is going to be three to six hours, whichever that is. They confessed and worship the Lord their God. What did they confess? It just finished telling us. Their shortcomings, their sins, right? If you go back and read Ezra, and you see what they went through in the way of tr- life-transforming repentance, this would have been a really neat group of folks, of God's servants, to be a part of. If you get a chance to go back and read Ezra and Nehemiah together, they were originally together. This is a neat group of folks. Now on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Banna, Kedman, Shebaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanana, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Um... Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, Pethahiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are, God, are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all that is in it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to all them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God. You chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur called the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, of the Jebusite, and the Gergesite to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. All right, now y'all understand that he's just saying, he's acknowledging God that this land was given to us. Well, where did they just come from? They just came out of captivity. These folks just came out of captivity. These folks hadn't been here, right? But you found his heart faithful before you. You made a covenant with him to give him the land 
to give it to his descendants. That's these folks. Well, that's not where they've been. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging water. And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night to light uh, for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws. See, he doesn't just call them ordinances and laws. He calls them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down to, for them commandments, statutes, and law through your, mo, your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth uh, water from the rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them so that they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is... Your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for the way which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna, did not, your manna you did not withhold from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wore out, wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them uh, to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess, so their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. You gave them into their hand, and their kings and, their, and the peoples of their land to do with them as, as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat and reveled in your great goodness. Remember when this was. Joshua. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you. And they uh, committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. And when they cried to you, and in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them 
from the hand of their oppressors. Just think about the time of the judges. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, that you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so they ruled over them. And when they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them, but uh, according to your compassion, and admonished them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandment, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observed them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and, a, and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are gracious and compassionate God. Now, therefore, our God, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenants and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all, our, all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. Now think about this, who these people are. These are the folks whose grandparents would have been taken off into captivity. Parents and grandparents. This is who these folks are. Right? Um, this is their relatives that were guilty of these things. Right? But they and their own kingdom, with your great goodness which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to this land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please so we are in great distress. Now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And if we kept reading, what we would see is what they're committing to is uh, service, like they did in the time of Joshua, right? That's what we would see. Let me get back over here. Ah, there we go. So when we look at chapter 9, uh, what do we see? Now, what I want to think about, sometimes, and I, you know, I've been fortunate and for, unfortunate enough to travel a lot, be in a lot of places, and so I hear a lot of commentary back from a lot of groups, a lot of people in a lot of groups. And um, so I just want to ask you, you know, in light of what you read there in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, So their current condition, who, who do they blame their current condition on in Nehemiah chapter 9? It's me, it's my fault. We're, we're, we're in this spot because me and my folks and my folks' folks, we messed this up. That's why we're small in number. That's why we're subject. That's why, that's, that's why we're not what we used to be. 
We're not what you would have us to be, right? We're not that, and it's our fault. Now, so when you talk to folks in congregations, and I go around and there's a small group in a big building, what kind of comments do you think I hear? Well, things just aren't like they used to be. People aren't interested in the truth like they were 50 years ago. So when I I look at these folks, I see repentance, confession. I see them reading the law. I see them recognizing God's compassion and patience. I see them recognizing and giving God credit for wanting more for them than they're experiencing because of failures in the past. That's why they are where they are. And me and Miss Carrie were talking this morning about some group in Arizona. You know, well, I remember there used to be a group there. They met in a firehouse. I don't know if they're still there. Well, probably they're not. You know, if you travel around a lot, what you find out is they're probably not. Right? Probably not there. In humility, I think that being the key, in humility recognizing that their circumstances are a result of their own bad choices. You know? So if there's something that is missing here, who do we blame? What we see from them is a renewed commitment to obedience. And not, do y'all perceive that this is a renewed commitment to the thou shalt nots? Or the thou shalts? The things that we're supposed to be doing. Here we are in chapter 10. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of this land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. Does that look like renewed commitment? And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons as for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day and we will forgo the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also place ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. I want you all to think about what they're saying here. Uh, We are willing to accept inconvenience, a religion not of comfort, we're, we're willing to make some sacrifices here for our commitment. This isn't going to just be lip service.
if you think about what those different things imply, these all imply that my religion's probably going to cost me something. So anyway, so the takeaway thoughts, what lessons were learned by the generation of God's people in Nehemiah's time. Um, you know, so what can we learn from reading about these folks? What kinds of obstacles did the people overcome? How about obstacles from within and obstacles from without? Did hard work, determination, and study eventually eliminate sin and apostasy in their generation? Were they able to, by their own commitment and strength and resolve, were they able to clean that up where they were completely surrounded by totally committed and dedicated folks all the time? Is that what that looked like, you think? I don't think so either. So what lessons can we learn as we consider this book. And those are the things I want us to think about. I hope, I hope we've um, brought those things up, and I hope you'll think about them more deeply. I would encourage you really kind of read Ezra and Nehemiah together and see what, it all, what all kind of commitments and sacrifices these folks made, this group of people, so that they could be this group of people that as you read that, you would think, wow, it'd be really neat to be a part of a group dedicated to the mission like that. And then maybe we become that. That'd be great. Um, so this necessarily wasn't a lesson where we talk about what it is that uh, we need we need to do as individuals to be saved. It's just more of a lesson uh, for us as Christians to think about what we might need to do to renew our commitment. Uh, maybe to acknowledge or confess our faults. Um, but either way, if you see yourself subject to the invitation of Christ, we would invite you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been